I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Warning, you're about to enter the arena and join the battle to save America with your host, Sean Parnell. Hey everybody, we're going a little early. We told you yesterday we do Ask Anything Friday. You can see down at the bottom, ask us anything. Uh, We'll just start. Someone already has a question for you, Sean. Here's my question from Smitty2000. If you have a bucket list, what is the most outrageous activity on your bucket list? I saw that. You were blown up, for God's sakes. I I did come back from Afghanistan thinking my nine lives are up. I better not take any more risks. Um, That is a really difficult question. I saw that question come in right off the bat, and I'm like, damn, that's tough. They're really ratcheting up the pressure here. I don't think it's hard. The the bucket list, the number. So the question is the number one thing on my bucket list. That's the question. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I don't really. I I don't. I, I all here. Okay, let me let's change it. What's there something you haven't done that you'd love to do at least once? I listen. Listen. I'm just going to answer the question like this. I live a very boring life. Like I really don't like, I don't want to take any more risks. I don't want to be jumping on airplanes. Like, like my, my whole family, especially my dad, who I love, who's a great, great dad. Is he he's like, I'm sure he is. He always oh, does. He's say? like, he's probably in the chat right now. He's like, he's like, yeah, Ethan, Ethan can come down and say hi. Yes. Come on. Um, so, okay. So my dad is like Clark W. Griswold. We don't go on vacation without a list. that's cousin s cousin eddie that's not clark griswold so so my dad will be like well what do you what do you mean you don't want to see the world's second largest ball of twine on the way to ocean city maryland at our annual vacation so my idea of a vacation is sitting around a pool doing nothing with no itinerary and just drinking from sun up to sundown so that i think my bucket list you know when it comes time to be towards the end of my life it would be just sitting on a, a rocking chair or around a, on a beach or around a pool with Melanie, just drinking together and that, that, and, and not have to worry about money because we worry about money all the time. And that sucks. Um, here, come here, come here. Say hi. Hi everybody. Say, say it into the mic. Hi everybody. Look at this kid. Come down here and look, look at this kid's head of hair. You see this, you see where he gets this. He gets this head of hair from right here. You see that? Does he put hi, Kevin. four? <laughs> Does he put four pounds of gel in it every day? Do you? He, the question was, do you put four pounds of gel in your hair every day? No. No. I he. Use, put, I use clay. Speak into the microphone. I use clay. <laughs> <laughs> like just like hair clay or whatever. Yes. Yes. Okay. What's the? Oh, what's the the scariest part of being a parent? Okay, I'll see you up there, pal. Sca- oh my gosh! You know, I'll tell you this. I learned a couple of things when when I became a parent. The scariest thing is just 
oh man, it's hard to even talk about, but you never really know real worry until you have kids. And I mean a worry that's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And, and that means like, cause in the moment that they leave your house, they're out of your control. If you, if, if they're with a babysitter or they go to school, you're entrusting that babysitter, you're entrusting the school to take care of your children. And even, even as parents, like it's always in the back of your mind that something could happen, that you're not going to be there or God forbid, you know, they're, they're, we've got a 16 year old Katie's in the chat. She's, she's going to be getting her permit soon. She's 16 Wait, years old. When it's dating. She's the one that's dating. That would be um, yes. the scariest thing. That's one of the scariest things, Brock. I'm getting there. You're stealing my thunder, man. And oh, you stay. Hurry up, please. It's a scary thing. I mean, so I guess the answer is just having kids in general, it's the it's the greatest mix of scary and amazing that you could possibly have all sort of in, in one bucket. It's it's uh but I just think you know, life is pretty damn scary. And when your kids turn 18 and they're out, you just hope that you taught them the right things about the, the world and raised them the right way so that when they go out there, they're living good lives, doing good things for other people, trying to serve other people. I say often that the pathway to a meaningful life is through service to others. And, you know, hopefully living good lives, making good choices, serving their country, serving other people. Um, but... <sighs> Yeah, life is scary sometimes. Life is scary sometimes. So I think the scariest part of raising kids is just is just raising them. <laughs> is raising them and hope life doesn't throw you a curveball along the way. To answer Kevin, yes, this is a no left turn uh hat. Uh <laughs> a listener listener sent it to me. Uh so I wear it's super comfortable, so that's why I wear it. I got a question for you. For me. <clears throat> yeah, what's the what's the most fun thing getting into podcasting for someone who wants to do it. Oh, what did you learn from it? What, what was the biggest shock? I think I know the answer, but I say, I mean, I say podcasting, but really what we're doing, I started with a podcast and now we're doing a show, but I, I mean, I just, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this. When I was running for office, one of my biggest regrets is that I did not have, we had an amazing base. We had tens of thousands of, volunteers, supporters, donors. I mean, tons of grassroots support where candidates, I mean, you'll hear one story after the next from candidates in states all across the country that if they're just sort of like milk toast, they have to hire and bring in volunteers. We never had that problem. However, when the media came after me, can you still hear me, Brock? Am I, am I so good? When the media came after me and my family for the Senate race, and that, by the way, the difference between running for the House of Representatives and running for the Senate. Huge, huge difference, huge difference. But when they came after me, I realized that everything that the media was saying was told through their lens, and it was horribly damaging to my family and me. And I had no platform to, to talk back and talk directly to the people. So Brock, that was the most exciting part. When I talk about building a movement, I, I mean it. Like, we're going to use this movement not just to come out here and rap and talk about politics and try to solve the problems of the world, but we're going to put it into action on the political battlefield to really shape and make a difference in this world. And it doesn't matter what state you're in. I mean, that's that's the goal. That's the mission um, is to use this platform to change and save this country. When I say it, it's not hyperbole. It's really something that I want to do. 
And the more people that subscribe, the more people that get in the trenches with us, the easier that job is going to be. But, you know, podcasting, man, it's tough. And you and Wendy really uh, were the first two people to really step in and try to help me with the technical side of things because I don't really. I mean, I was I, I'm like a, a the Frank Sinatra guy. When you run for office or you write books or you're a professional speaker, you show up, you sing, and you leave. The technical stuff I have no idea about, so I had to sort of figure that out for myself along the way until you and Wendy came along to really help me out. But I think the exciting thing is is just building a platform where I can go directly to the people. And what's the biggest thing you've? What's the biggest shock to doing this? The biggest shock. Yeah, that you didn't think would be, but it's hard. It's difficult. It's difficult to to build. It's it's difficult to build subscribers and get subscribers. It's a it's a slow moving thing, you know. So, but but from the that that's that's control is what I can call control growth. You 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 don't want you want control growth, but actually getting into the show so people understand this isn't just something you jump into there's a whole process what part of the process took you most by surprise you know i think just the doing the doing the live the live shows i mean you 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 like when you asked me to fill in for wendy for the first time um and, and I did, I, t- I remember I told you, there's no way I'm going to be able to talk for three hours. It's three hours. It's like, yes, you can. So what I realized is like the, my biggest enemy was myself, was um, my, uh, my doubting myself really. And you told me along with Wendy that, yes, you can do it. Yes, you can do it. And not only did we do it, we've done it for two weeks now hosting your, the Wendy Bell show, but also doing the our own live show for over a month. So I think that was the biggest learning curve for me because before before we were doing the live show, um, before we were doing the live show, we were just doing a weekly podcast, which was really fun, but it was just a different thing. And this, but yeah, this is this is. Cool. I, re- I remember when you called me about your podcast. And it's a behind the scenes story. He called and said, hey, I called Wendy to see like what's what I could do. And Wendy told me I should talk to you. And I remember yes. like, I said, Well, you know, I can let me let me watch your show <laughs> and uh let me watch a couple episodes of your show and I'll give you, you know, I'll give you my opinion. And I said, <laughs> You want me to be honest? And you're like, What do you mean? I'm like, I can be honest or I can be nice. You're like, I don't want to hurt your feelings. I don't want you, son of a bitch. I've been blown up. You ain't gonna hurt. Yeah, my- yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was in the infantry. Hey, somebody asked me about Fetterman's dress code. I want to. I want to say it like this. Um, first of all, it's disgraceful, and it's it's obviously a sore spot for me because um, it's he's from Pennsylvania. I'm from Pennsylvania. I want you to picture John Fetterman. Uh, just imagine he was a young, first term black Democrat senator. Do you think that Chuck Schumer would have adjusted the dress code for that young man to allow him to walk into the Senate chamber dressed like, say, a gangbanger or something like that? There's no way in hell. There's no way in hell they would they would allow that to happen. So my point is, is John Fetterman again, because don't forget, he held up a a young, innocent black jogger at gunpoint for for hours till the police arrived. In the end, it turned out not 
wasn't involved, didn't commit a crime. John Fetterman just did it. But my point is that John Fetterman continues to be the epitome of Democrat white privilege. And of course, the Democrats are the party of the KKK. So um, that's how I look at that. I mean, it's it's absolutely he's an absurd embarrassment for a lot of different reasons. But um yeah, it's just a, it's just it's a sickening degradation of the office. It shouldn't happen. Um, and so, look, it's five o'clock. We're going to get to the show. Right, Brock? We'll go. Um, we've got corruption and betrayal at the top. Told you yesterday there was purposeful flooding of America. Today we have proof. And not only that, the Democrats are coming for your guns. All that and more on Battleground Live. Let's do it. I hope you guys enjoyed that. I mean, we're. I th- if you like it, we'll keep doing it. If you don't, make sure you let us know in the chat. Like I told you before, this show is and will always be for you. So what we did there is we tried to start the show 10 minutes early, give you guys an opportunity to engage with me, ask me anything you want. I want to put this out there that if we continue to do these, not if nothing is off the table. So I don't, I'm an open book. I've run for a public office twice. I'm used to answering tough questions. I don't hide from the media like most Democrats do. Um, in fact, I was, I was joking around with, with Brock and we were talking about just how corrupt people in Washington are. And we're going to hit that right at the top of the hour because a major Democrat, the chairman on the Senate foreign relations committee, uh, Bob Menendez, Uh, Again, I'd like to say a Democrat was indicted on bribery charges. I mean, these charges are 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 incredibly, incredibly serious. And Brock and I were talking before the show, just thinking like, oh, my I I told Brock, like, this is really bad. I I mean, I suppose and, and I don't know what this says about the state of our country, but I suppose that I I'm not surprised. But on the other hand, it's it's different when you actually see the pictures of it and read the actual indictment itself of the things that he did. I it's just mind blowing to me how bad it is. And if if Bob Menendez is doing it, you could be damn well sure that other politicians are doing it as well. I mean, how how often do you see somebody like Diane Feinstein going into the Senate in like 1914 and staying there till she's 90 plus years old in a wheelchair and can't string together a sentence. I mean, it has to be wheeled around everywhere, has to have someone with a power attorney around her just to engage with other people. And this is somebody that's that's casting a vote in, in Diane Feinstein's case for the state of California, and she's barely conscious. But she went into the Senate probably worth 50 grand and now she's worked 93 million dollars how is that possible it's surely not possible on making you know a salary between 174,000 and 200,000 dollars a year as a public servant in Washington there's no way do the math it does not work and before I did before I we we went live today Brock and I were discussing just uh, uh, just how terrible it is and and what I told I was half joking, but we really did this on the campaign trail. My promise to people uh, on the campaign trail was like the system is just so bad, the swamp and is just so corrupt that I am not. I promise you, I am not going down to Washington for an entire career. I will not be one of these politicians that you see wheeling around in a wheelchair or stumbling and bumbling around like Joe Biden as an old man. No way. The founders never intended that. But my plan is to go down to Washington and tear the entire system down brick by brick. And then the follow on campaign promise that I would make to people was 
Then I'm going to buy a farm in Western Pennsylvania and ne never talk to anyone ever again. <laughs> not, not even exaggerating. I feel like that promise is it's what excited people the most. People are tired of these career politicians and on both sides of the aisle. You know, it's it's a terrible thing for our country. And look, I have to tell you, this Menendez thing, I mean, Menendez has been a creep for a very, very long time. I mean, you remember uh, back in 2015 uh, how the feds, they said, I've got an article here from U.S. News. The feds say that they've got corroborating evidence backing the Menendez prostitution claim. Remember, he was indicted back then for accepting long running streams of bribes and you know, child prostitutes and, and sex trafficking and jumping on some rich businessman's private jet to go to the Dominican Republic to have sex with underage prostitutes. I mean, Bob Menendez is a real, real bad dude. And back then he's like, well, perhaps uh, the government of Cuba created these rumors. And this is, he of course, denied it. Uh, but now we find out that Bob Menendez was selling the United States of America along with his wife, who acted as an intermediary selling the United States of America down the river to Egypt. I mean, this, this, is, this is not an exaggeration. I mean, I, I, listen, Brock, if we have images, just throw some of this stuff up on the screen as, a, as I'm talking here. Um, but the FBI, as they were investigating some of this stuff, they found that Bob Menendez... Uh, took bribes from Egypt which in, in the form of bars of gold. Look at that. And it's, they found this in his house. And in fact, shortly after, Bob Menendez got these bars of gold. Now, again, Bob Menendez is the chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Why was he the chairman when this investigation was going on? I do not know. But he Googled how much. They, the FBI literally found this on a computer in his house. How much is is a, a kilo of gold worth. I mean, this guy's a complete mouth-breathing idiot. Look at this. They found stacks of unmarked bills <laughs> bonded together in his jackets labeled Bob Menendez. Look at that. They found that in his house. $500,000 cash in this man's house. He was getting, I mean, jackets stuffed with cash. He had a luxury vehicle or Mercedes-Benz given to him. And essentially... Um, oh, yeah, look, there it is right there. The guy was basically acting as a foreign a foreign agent of Egypt while serving as a United States senator, not just a United States senator, but the chairman on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. I mean, this is this is crazy. In fact, there's there's a text message out there um, over. OK, so let me let me make sure I have this right. Yeah. So look at right here. I don't know if you can see it on the screen. Menendez texts his wife. I mean. This guy is leaking highly sensitive information to the Egyptians, which the Egypt, which is a brutal dictatorship. I mean, I can't impress upon you enough about how dangerous. And by the way, I mean, this is treason to me. This is treason. Let's check this out. Menendez texts his wife. I'm going to sign off on this sale to Egypt today. 46,120 millimeter target practice rounds and 10,000 rounds tank ammunition, $99 million. His wife then forwards it to an Egyptian official who just replies with the thumbs up emoji, fun stuff. Folks, I cannot begin to describe to you, and this is just the tip of the iceberg, but just how dangerous this 
really is. It's extraordinarily dangerous. Now, like I have experience with with uh, being betrayed and working with spies. Worked uh, had an experience in Afghanistan where you're when you're a young platoon leader. Okay, we were in charge of again. If you heard any of my story, we were we led. Uh, I led an infantry platoon at the height of the hunt for Bin Laden in Afghanistan in 2006. And back then, I mean, this is only four years after we invaded after September 11th. Um, and basically, what we did was is pull you know local Afghans who could speak English into our units, and we do our own vetting process to make sure that they were safe. Uh, there really wasn't an official U.S. government process for interviewing interpreters, but we needed them to conduct missions. Otherwise, how else will we engage with local Afghans out on mission? So when I arrived on my base, there were two interpreters. There was an interpreter named Abdul and an interpreter named Yusuf. They had been working with U.S. Special Forces and infantry platoons since uh, the towers came down. And as a young infantry platoon leader, I thought it was kind of cool. Got it. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I just really one of the first times I'd ever left the country before. I mean, I had been to South Korea before and in a couple of other countries, but this is the first time I had really left the country on a combat mission and being assigned a personal interpreter on basically, I mean, cause when you're over in Afghanistan, you're a young platoon leader. Yes. Your, your mission is to close with and destroy the enemy, but you're also an American diplomat. I mean, the responsibility is immense. So I thought, Hey, it's kind of cool. I've got my own interpreter that I can use to engage uh, on missions. It was just a new thing. And being sort of bright eyed, bushy tailed, I, I allowed these interpreters to engage with our, my, my troops. I wanted them to feel like a, a part of the team and the reason for that is, is sometimes you get ambushed when you're out on patrol and you're stuck in a kill zone. That interpreter's out there with you. He's getting shot at as well. In fact, many of the interpreters on our base, they didn't wear masks, but that made it easy for the for the Taliban or Al-Qaeda or the Akani network or Hekmadiar to identify who that interpreter was and then go after and kill his wife, kill his kids, kill his family. So they were operating under tremendous risk as well. I mean, that was the assumption. And so I allowed them to sit in on our patrol briefs. I allowed them to engage with our soldiers. I allowed them to be, really become part of the team, even though I had, you know, non-commissioned officers saying, sir, you know, really shouldn't, you really shouldn't do this. Like, this is like, we don't know, we don't know these people. A lot of my non-commissioned officers um, had been to combat before and experienced things like this before, but you know, when you're in combat, you've got lots of things on your mind. You're you're trying to keep your soldiers alive. You're you're out there planning patrols, you know, planning missions, you know, plotting, you know, targets to call for fire on and everything else. And I just thought, yes, you're absolutely right. But it was kind of low on the totem pole for me. Just didn't think anything of it. And as time wore on, everyone in the platoon is forced to take what they call two week R&R, rest and relaxation, vacation or leave home with the family. Um, mine came in August, so eight months into the into the deployment. And you know, leading up to that point, one of our interpreters, Yusef, um, was using satellite phones um, to call. You know what he said it was calling his family. He would ask us often in a tactical operations center. You know, hey, can we can I use this phone to call our families? And again, we didn't really think anything of it. We said, yeah, of course. I mean, he's again, he's out here risking everything with us. Let's let him do it. Uh, so August comes along. I go on leave. Um, my platoon goes out on patrol and they roll up on what's called an observation post. And 
our mission on this observation post was to overlook infiltration routes from Pakistan into Afghanistan. Because at the time, the thought was, is that Osama bin Laden was somewhere in the Tora Bora Mountains on eastern Afghanistan, working in and out of cave networks, and was probably going back and forth from Pakistan into Afghanistan and back. That's just what we thought back then. Um, and at, as my platoon rolled up onto the hill, my truck, I wasn't in it, but um, because I was home on leave, my truck rolled over a plastic Italian TC6 anti-tank mine. And that plastic Italian TC6 anti-tank mine blew up under my truck, uh, destroyed it, uh, knocked everybody unconscious, blew uh, our gunner out of the turret completely and killed uh, my forward observer. My forward observer is named Jeremiah Cole, and he was somebody that was beloved by all of our platoon. Um, and we had mine detectors with us. We swept the ground for mines and everything else like that. But it, there's more metal in a pack of cigarettes than there is in one of these plastic anti-tank mines from Italy. Where one of these terrorist factions got that, <laughs> we didn't know at the time. A couple months. And, and by the way, let me tell you something. Let me tell you this, too. Um, it's kind of like a it's it's related to the story. But I was in Ocean City, Maryland with my family at the time. And I had a tough time coming back from Afghanistan and going home with my family and going on vacation and going mini golfing and sitting on the beach. It just didn't feel right to me to be there while my soldiers were out there fighting, especially with me as a leader. I, I personally believe a leader's job is to be the first on the battlefield, the last off, the first man out of the trenches leading into the fight, um, the last one to go to the sleep at night. Leaders eat last in the line for food. I mean, that's just that's just how my men trained me to be. Um, Never really felt quite right, but I remember waking up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat, and I just had this feeling in my heart of hearts. I, I'm telling you, it was something that I'd never experienced before, and it was just it was just something is wrong. I don't know what, but something is wrong. Something's wrong. Something's wrong, and I just felt it. And back then, I mean, again, this was in 2006. I mean, there wasn't Wi-Fi like there is today. I mean, I had to grabbed my laptop. I was scrambling around looking for Wi-Fi networks. Um, we didn't have it in the hotel that we were staying in in Ocean City, Maryland. So I sprinted across the street um, and found like a Starbucks or something and jumped on my computer. And the moment that I connected to the internet and to uh, AOL Instant Messenger, um, I had a message from one of my soldiers and it was just, sir, question mark. And I said, yes. And then the next one was, Cole is dead. And I, I was, I was in shock, but what the strangest thing was, is I knew something wasn't right. And I asked how, and he explained that it was a mine. And so the rest of vacation, you can imagine how that was. It was, it was, it was, it was not much of a vacation. I ended up finding my way back to Afghanistan, getting boots on the ground with my troops, um, Another thing that was really tough for me is that I, I missed Cole's funeral in the field, you know, where they where they do the 21 gun salute. And I wasn't there for any of that when my soldiers needed me. And it's something that I look back on. It really bothers me to this day. Um, but we went back there and, you know, in combat, sometimes you lose people and in combat, sometimes people that you love and you care about get hurt. And that's just part of the job. And so you just do the best you can to stow that. 
And, you know, you know, you, there's plenty of time to think about stuff like that in a dark room somewhere, you know, um, after the mission is complete. So we just saddled up and we went about our mission and we took Yusuf out on patrol with us everywhere that, everywhere that we went. And a couple months later, uh, I think I mentioned to you before that we had a CIA guy come down in the field and uh, with us for a little bit. And then he would disappear and he'd come back and he'd disappear. We got intelligence from this CIA or from some, some what they call in Afghanistan NGOs or non-governmental agents, uh, organizations. I mean, I don't know if it's a CIA or not. It was just some clandestine organization who was monitoring a communication box in and around our, our forward operating base. And we didn't have the capability to like listen in on cell phones or anything like that when we were there. That was all like way above our pay grade. But we got a report that there was someone on our base using a satellite phone to communicate with an Iranian IED maker in Pakistan just across the border from us. That someone was our interpreter named Yusuf. He had coordinated and gotten paid, I guess, from this Iranian IED cell, let them know where my platoon was going to be going. Um, and I look back on that and it's probably much of this is, is my fault because, you know, he had he was he sat in on our patrols. They, they patrolled everywhere. They were interpreters. They were part of the team. Right. And I never really did act on what my non-commissioned officers told me and just like, Hey, maybe we shouldn't trust these guys completely. Again, young 20 something year old kid didn't know any better. And I, not like I blew them off. I was going to list. I, I, they were right. It was just, there was a million other things going on. Um, but to come to find out it was Yusuf. And more than that, we couldn't even bust them. We had to wait for the right moment. So I remember like, after we found this out, I was just seething with, with rage. I mean, we wanted to kill this guy. And, I remember going to the DFAC, the dining facility, and sitting with my platoon sergeant, Sergeant Greason, and we were talking about this. And who comes saddling into the DFAC and sit right at our table with us, right across from me, was Yusuf. And I couldn't say anything about it because we had to wait for the right time to arrest him. Because otherwise, if you like say something or lead on that that you could know, I mean, next thing you know, he disappears. You never catch him. And so, didn't say anything. The day wore on. Ended up doing a patrol up to Bagram that that I wasn't a part of, uh, up to Bagram Air Base, which is way way far away. But maybe we took him to Organy or whatever. I wasn't I wasn't on that patrol. Don't quite remember where they took him, but they ended up arresting him. And and the intention was to process him at Bagram and send him to Guantanamo Bay. But because you know the evidence around him, this his pocket litter stuff from his pockets ID card was that wasn't placed in this plastic bag the right way or whatever. I don't know. They ended up being let go. <laughs> so I'm telling you this story because traitors can just be unbelievably damaging. And you know, when you're in combat. Obviously, it cost the lives of of one of my soldiers. I think about it every single day. This traitor wasn't even an American citizen. He was just an ally, a supposed ally who was working with us, who betrayed us. And again, someone died because of it. Bob Menendez is a senior leader, a Democrat, Republican. I don't give a damn. He's a senior leader in this country who is letting the Egyptian government know about sensitive U.S. information, privileged, secret information. What that information was, I don't know. 
But clearly, judging by this text message that his wife sent to some Egyptian oligarch, government official, I don't know. It's clearly that text message was in reference to military stuff. Now, Egypt is a brutal dictatorship. The damage that this man has done to this country is, is just staggering to me. And what's more is how many other U.S. representatives or U.S. senators are on the take like this? I mean, clearly it's more than just him. We have people that are going into the Senate worth $100,000 and coming out worth $100 million. That doesn't happen on a federal government U.S. senator salary. And why, during the course of this investigation, was, was he allowed to remain as chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee with access to highly classified, highly sensitive information, much of which I'm sure found their way into the hands of high-level Egyptian government officials. And I have news for you. If you think that this was bad, and when I mean this, I mean Senator Menendez using his wife as an intermediary to sell U.S. government secrets and and influence of his office to countries that don't like us or maybe don't share our geopolitical, geopolitical goals, if you think that was bad, then let me tell you about a dude named Joe Biden. Because what he did using Hunter Biden and his brother and the entire Biden family crime syndicate, what he did was a thousand times worse than what Senator Menendez did. I mean, we're talking the Bidens, I mean, hundreds of thousands of dollars found in Senator Menendez's house. That's a huge deal. You saw the pictures yourself. Who the hell has, like, no normal person has money like that lying around their house. I mean, it's like he's a damn drug lord or something like that. A corrupt criminal. But we're talking the Bidens, and we know, this this is just the information that we know. They took $20 million, at least, at least at a minimum, siphoned through a million different shell corporations from the Chinese Communist Party. I mean, one of the most powerful people in China literally paid Hunter Biden with three carat gems in bags full of diamonds, offered him $30 million. The Biden family got at least $20 million based on their bank statements that was laundered through shell companies, some of which is seven figures are sitting in the accounts of grandchildren. Got this money from the Chinese Communist Party. They got this money from Russia. They got this money from, you know, Ukrainian oligarchs. They got this money from people all over the world. We also know that the Clintons were selling foreign influence. I mean, you had foreign countries like Saudi Arabia paying the the Clinton Foundation, whatever the hell, the Clinton Global Initiative or whatever, Paying them millions and millions of dollars. Why? Because Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State and they wanted to have a favorable relationship with her. And the Clinton Foundation or the Clinton Global Initiative, they they weren't using that money for, for good all around the world. We know now, based on leaked emails and text messages, that Hillary used some of that money to pay for Chelsea Clinton's wedding and other personal things. I I don't know of any other way to say this other than the Democrat Party 
and this is the title of today's episode, but the Democrat Party is an existential threat to this country. It is not an overstatement to say that Senator Menendez is a foreign agent, a bought and paid for foreign agent. I mean, don't believe me. Go read the indictment for yourself. It will blow your mind how unbelievably bad it is. And this is why Republicans, when you compare the two, I mean, how is what Senator Menendez did using his wife as an intermediary to broker these deals and sell influence of his office to countries that don't like us? How is what he did any different than what Joe Biden did, except for Joe Biden, what he did was a hundred times worse. All things equal. If we're indicting Menendez, and first of all, why are we doing, I mean, I, I haven't put this together yet in my mind, but why are we doing this? Why are we indicting him now? We've known he was, he was, a, he was a corrupt piece of garbage for a very long time. Why now? To distract from the Biden family crime syndicate? Was it because Senator Menendez spoke out about the Iran prisoner swap in which we gave six American citizens along with $6 billion of sanction-free money to Iran in exchange for six uh, Iranian terrorists? Or you, you know how that works. Menendez spoke out about that. Is this retaliation for that? What's the play here? I... It's just it's just unbelievably concerning. You know, Brock and I talked prior to the show. I love this country. I believe it to be exceptional. I truly do believe Ronald Reagan's word that the United States of America is a shining city upon a hill. But these corrupt losers, and I am not just talking about Democrats here, these career politicians. They are selling this country down the river to our enemies, diminishing its greatness, deliberately destroying it. I mean, for God's sake, not only, you know, are we selling influence to other countries that don't like us? Again, I guarantee you, Menendez isn't the only one doing this stuff. And there's a reason why senators, go, you know, people get elected and they come out worth $100 million. Now we've got the U.S. Senate diminishing the dress code for guys like John Fetterman. I said in the Ask Me Anything uh, prior to this, is that like it's just in, 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 them doing that for one person is indicative of the over. It's a microcosm, really, of the overall decline that we are seeing in our country right now. This feels like an empire that's crumbling, late stage. Republic, uh, our republic is collapsing, and we're in the late stages of it. Some things you would think are just a bridge too far for some of these people, but apparently not. I mean, what's the end game? I mean, there's a reason why, you know, people like me, we believe that the U.S., the United States of America is the last bastion of freedom on earth. There is no other place to go. It's true. I've seen much of the world. It is dark. It is grim. It is terrible. Even in so-called Western nations like in Europe that are supposed to be free. No, there is no place like America. 
And these politicians are destroying this country to make a few million bucks for themselves? I don't know what to say, folks. I don't know what to say, but we are in a bad state. Just how bad it's going to get, I don't know. But nothing should surprise you anymore. And if you think that what's happening with Menendez and Biden is bad, when you look at what's happening in Ukraine and you see that we have 100, by the the end of the year, there'll be $250 billion of your taxpayer dollars going over there to fund a war in which the Ukrainians are losing. They're losing. Don't believe for a second that the media is telling you truth about the battle in Ukraine. They are losing. Their summer offensive was a disaster. A disaster. How many people are lining their pockets or getting kickbacks from your taxpayer dollars that are being spent in Ukraine in what is probably the largest money laundering operation in the history of our country? How long will it go on? I don't know. Let me show you this video where uh, hacktivist Kristen Welker, uh, we talked about her last week, is talking about J.D. Vance. And J.D. Vance is a friend of mine. He's a senator from Ohio. Um, He shares my views on on the war in Ukraine. Now, J.D. Vance is a Marine. He's been to combat before. He knows how bad war sucks and that leadership is about avoiding it at all costs, if you can, putting diplomacy first. And if you must fight, there must be a, a clearly defined mission with a clearly defined end state. I mean, again, you don't need to have to be a tactical genius to know this stuff. But Admiral Kirby who, look, I don't know, I'm sure he's a real nice guy. He wore the uniform. God bless you. Not everybody that wears the uniform is beyond reproach. I don't know how this guy looks at himself in the mirror every night having to go out there and stump for Biden in these press conferences like he does every day. But John Kirby was asked about how long the mission in Ukraine will go on. Watch for yourself what he says, folks. One of the points that J.D. Vance raises is that it's not clear what the exit strategy is. So can you speak to that point, to that concern? What's the strategy? What's the exit plan here for the U.S.? Well, again, I'm not exactly clear what the senator is referring to. Normally, when you talk about exit strategy, you're talking about getting American troops out of a war zone, that kind of thing. It's important to remember that we don't have American troops in Ukraine. Ukrainians are on their soil and they're fighting for every inch of it. So I don't think they we plan on going anywhere. We are providing military aid. We are they providing are plan- military aid they are planning- and obviously financial aid. They are planning on going anywhere. And the United States is committed to supporting Ukraine for as long as it takes to succeed on the battlefield. So if by exit strategy, he's talking about an end of the war, I'd offer this. Mr. Putin could end it today if he just pulled his troops out of Ukraine where they don't belong. Listen to me, people. As long as it takes, as long as it takes, really. I can't even begin to tell you how irresponsible that message is. The Ukrainians are being slaughtered. 50,000 plus dead, another well over 150,000 wounded. The Ukrainians are being slaughtered. But you would think, that coming on the heels of 20 years of failure, and I'm not talking about the people who carried a rifle and wore combat boots and fought in the battles. 
but 20 years of failure in Iraq and Afghanistan, you would think these morons and mouth breathers would learn a lesson, but we have learned nothing. In fact, while Americans were still trapped on the battlefield, the military industrial complex, Democrats and Republicans alike, marched us off to war in Ukraine. Yes, we don't have boots on the ground yet, but I say this often and I can, I need you to hear me on this. The longer that a protracted stalemate goes on, the higher the likelihood there will be U.S. troops on the ground there at some point to break that stalemate. The only way this ends is through some form of diplomacy. Otherwise, America's sons and daughters will be on that battlefield, and we are not ready for that fight. We are. We just aren't. We have the best military in the world, but coming off of 20 years in Iraq and Afghanistan and in a military force that hasn't sufficiently evolved from fighting a war in Iraq and Afghanistan to fighting a conventional threat like Russia— Never mind the fact that Russia is a nuclear power and they are not afraid to use their tactical nuclear weapons on the battlefield. It just doesn't seem to me that we're approaching this, what could be a nuclear war, and that's not an overstatement, with any sense of, of nuance, with any sense of, of the actual stakes. It's just, we're going to do this for as long as it takes. As long as it takes, it took us 20 damn years in Afghanistan. What the hell do we have to show for it? And Afghanistan didn't have air power. The Taliban didn't have nuclear weapons. So as long as it takes, I'm sorry, that's not an answer. It's highly, highly irresponsible. And it puts your sons and daughters at risk. And I just feel like I have a duty and obligation to say so, to speak up and say something because we are not on a good path. And when you combine the very fact that nuclear war could be on the table with leaders at the highest levels of our government willing to sell America down the river, and that is not an exaggeration, folks, that is not a good combination. People whose loyalty to this country, they took an oath to defend this country, and they're selling us down the river. Make a few bucks here and there. Well, we've, we're on the battlefield of Ukraine, and the threat of nuclear war is on the table. Our leaders are selling us out. It's sickening, and it's scary, and we should demand better. And I told you yesterday that the destruction of this country is deliberate. I am not wrong. And Joe Biden all but admitted it today. We did a whole lot on the show yesterday about the invasion at our southern border. And yes, it's an invasion. If you're new to the show and you're in the trenches with us for the first time, do yourself a favor when it's convenient. Go watch the show yesterday. We showed you videos of tens of thousands of immigrants streaming into this country, riding trains into this country. There are people, children who drown crossing the Rio Grande, men, women, and children who drown every day trying to get into this country because Joe Biden and the Democrats have done everything that he can to incentivize them to come here. It is a travesty that illegal immigrants can come into this country and get themselves set up on 
you know, Medicaid and government entitlement programs and have better insurance than combat veterans who serve this country, that better, better medical treatment than they get at the VA. And that the first act of many of these people coming into this country is breaking the law. Don't you see how that turns everything on its head? But that's what the Democrats are all about. They're all about transforming the system, tearing down the system, celebrating lawbreakers while condemning people who actually serve, whether it's veterans on the battlefield or police officers who defend us here on the streets. Everything that you're seeing, folks, is deliberate. They're doing this on purpose, and don't let anybody tell you differently. Watch Joe Biden. Just watch how brazen this guy is. Remember my golden rule. Anything that the Democrats accuse us of, they themselves are guilty of. Okay, they are experts at projection. And Joe Biden yesterday evening. Oh, my God. Just watch this animated corpse mouth breathing freak. Check this out. For decades, immigration reform has been a bipartisan in this country. Unfortunately, the mega Republican congressman of my predecessor spent four years gutting the immigration system under my predecessor. They continue to undermine our border security today, blocking bipartisan reform. So according to Joe Biden, and this is if you could understand his slurred words. I mean, like, I mean, seriously, it's it's really, really bad, right? Like, it's crazy how it's like he's just not even there. When I say animated corpse, like these libs are like, oh, my God, how rude that is. He's the president. He can he's barely alive. He's barely conscious. He can barely speak. But he if you could understand what he was saying, and I'm quoting here, mega, mega Republicans in Congress and my predecessor spent four years gutting the immigration system under my predecessor and continued to undermine our border security today. Really? He would have you believe that Donald Trump, who they accused of xenophobia just about every day, Donald Trump, the man who wanted to build a wall, and Republicans and Democrats refused to give him $4 billion to build a wall, while presently today send hundreds of billions of dollars to Ukraine so that they can defend their border while our border is completely overrun. He would have you believe that Donald Trump and Republicans are responsible for the great immigration crisis that we see today at our southern border. I mean, it's amazing to me. Never ceases to amaze me. And I got to tell you, maybe a little part of me respects just how brazen he is and must be nice to have the media completely in your back pocket to allow him to get away with saying things like this. And I always, I always joke, like, it would be the easiest thing in the world to campaign as a Democrat. You literally never get asked any hard questions. Like, they, they don't investigate you. They don't look into your past. The media does not care. If you're a Democrat, it's the easiest thing in the world. You have a trillion-plus-dollar propaganda arm at your disposal to do your bidding. I mean, my God, that's why the Democrats can't answer any questions. That's why KJP is such a horrible press secretary when on the off chance that she is asked a question, she can't do it because she's never actually had to do it. She's never been challenged. And when she does get challenged, or any Democrat for that matter, they act all huffy and puffy as if, like, how dare you do that? Because their party owns the media. 
And you see that as reflected in their attitudes towards the media when they're asked tough questions. But Biden went on in that very same speech and he gave away the game, folks. When I told you that I have proof, this is what I'm talking about. Check out Biden's plans because he talked about them last night about how he plans to use this grave and historic border crisis. Roll the tape. First, we put in place policies that process people in a fair and fast way. Second, we're significantly expanding legal pathways for entry so businesses can get the workers they need. Families don't have to wait for a decade to be together. I've also directed my team to make a historic increase in the number of refugees admitted from Latin America. People fleeing violence and persecution who simply want their kids to have a better life. Next week, my team will consult with Congress on this plan. Third, we're supporting states and cities that have seen a surge in immigrants. We've developed federal experts and deployed them to help train city workers. We've launched outreach campaigns helping over a million eligible migrants apply for work permits. And we're accelerating the process for work permit applications. Right now, most migrants have to wait six months after filing a claim before they can go to work. Only Congress can change that. But the Secretary of Homeland Security can take extraordinary action. And yesterday, given the poor conditions in Venezuela, Secretary Mayorkas announced temporary protection for hundreds of thousands of Venezuelans already in this country. Temporary protections for hundreds of thousands of Venezuelans? So let me just run this down. Let me let me let me just give you this the the straight and narrow on this, folks. He's going to fast track processing at the U.S. border. Now, I I want I want to I'm just going to give it to you straight. Tuberculosis was found at the U.S. border last night, as reported by um, a reporter at Fox News. Um, people with tuberculosis, migrants with tuberculosis, have been sent to over 44 states in this country. That's a fact. Don't trust me. Go look it up yourself. Do your own research. It's the truth. We don't know who's coming across. Uh, over 150 people who've come across the southern border have been on domestic wa- on terrorism watch lists. And oh, by the way, who knows what diseases they're carrying? Who knows what drugs they're carrying? I mean, this is just bad stuff, people. They want to expand legal pathways for citizenship. They want to increase the total number of refugees. They want to send money to help sanctuary cities. So in other words, these sanctuary cities that are overrun, Biden administration is just going to send money to people like Kathy Hochul, the governor of New York, and and Mayor Eric Adams, the mayor of New York City. He's just going to send them money to build immigrant camps like they're doing in Chicago. Remember when I told you yesterday that the mayor of Chicago signed a contract, a $26 million contract to build immigrant camps in Chicago? You think the residents of Chicago want that? No. But they're Democrats. They voted for it. How bad is it going to have to get for them to change their vote away from this stuff? It's interesting. People are starting to wake up. The mayor in Dallas, who was once a Democrat, switched his party affiliation today to Republican. Why? Because He personally believes that Democrat policies are destroying this country. He believes that Democrat policies are responsible for the rising crime waves that we're seeing, not just in our cities, but now spreading out to our suburbs. He believes that Democrat policies are responsible for all the drugs and fentanyl that we see on the streets. He's a Democrat mayor 
switch to Republican in Dallas today. It's breaking news today. But the Biden administration is also going to speed up work permits for illegals. So if you're out there trying to get a job, you could be competing with someone whose first act in this country was breaking the law. Doesn't that make you feel good? It's all deliberate. The Democrat Party, the modern day Democrat Party is an existential threat to America. They are doing this on purpose. Check out New York City today. This is the latest video of New York City being overwhelmed by migrants. A once great city. Uh, check it. These are, again, what you would say in the military, fighting aged males. How many women and children do you see there? It's just one dude after the next flooding the streets of New York City. These policies are untenable. We cannot live in a country where this stuff happens unchecked. And the and here's the deal. These Democrats that are in charge of these cities, they know it. I just played you video yesterday, go back and watch it, of Governor Hochul saying, we can't do it, go somewhere else. Oh, she's all pro-immigration as long as she doesn't have to deal with the problem. But here, all of this, it doesn't stop here, folks. It doesn't stop here with with people at the highest levels of our government selling America down the river, taking bribes and giving away secrets of this country to countries who despise us or overwhelming our country with illegal immigrants. No, as they're doing all of this, they're also trying to disarm you. News just broke today of a new office in the White House that's going to focus singularly on gun control. Now, they're calling it a sexy name, like on the uh, like something like the Office to Prevent Gun Crime or some BS like that. But you can bet they're coming for your guns, too. So not only are they selling America down the river, our corrupt politicians, they're flooding our communities with illegal immigrants. They're also trying to disarm you. Watch Kamala Harris, because she's going to be, oh, she's so, she's just so competent, you know? They put her in charge of this office. So watch her announce it today on this video. Go ahead and roll the tape. I have some big news to share. We are announcing the creation of the first ever White House Office of Gun Violence Prevention. And we are doing this work in large part because of the activism, the organizing, the marching, the voting of all of you leaders, be it students, parents, teachers, community leaders, who understand that <laughs> living free from gun violence should be a right. So we're gonna work on this together. We're gonna to continue to fight for reasonable gun safety laws and for the ability of all people to live their best lives free from fear, free from violence. Thank you for all that you have done and continue to do. First of all, you ever notice how she talks to all of America like we're all kindergartners? Oh my God. So I, I'm sorry because my right to keep and bear arms to protect myself and my family and to fight to protect liberty from tyranny is a sacred right bestowed upon me by our creator. Rights that a government cannot take away. But you can bet that through this office, this new office, they are going to try to come for your guns. It is going to be a slow erosion. 
First, it's going to be the so-called high-capacity magazines, and then they're going to try to roll out an assault weapons ban, and then they're going to try to make, you know, uh, who the hell knows, uh, taxes on ammunition to make it so expensive that you can't even buy ammunition to defend yourself. I don't have to tell all of you that the Second Amendment is the most important because it protects all the rest. If the left can dismantle the Second Amendment, what do you think is going to happen to all the rest of your freedoms? That's the la- the Second Amendment is the first, last, and always freedom. It, like it, like the Second Amendment allows you to be a citizen and not a subject. It's it's the it's the ultimate check and balance on an oppressive government. And this is why they're coming after it, folks. Watch Joe Biden today mumble through a press conference on this very subject. Go ahead and roll the tape, Brock. I'm not going to be quiet until we get it done. It's time again to ban assault weapons high capacity magazines. If you need 80 shots in a magazine, you shouldn't own a gun. This guy. Told you, it's all going to be about banning assault weapons. Now, never mind the fact that what the hell is an assault weapon? I mean, every single day on Twitter or elsewhere, I run into a mouth-breathing liberal who says, AR, AR means assault weapon, AR. Oh, my God. Oh, my. These are the people that we're dealing with. So never mind the fact that there's no such thing as an assault weapon, an assault rifle. Assault is a distinctly human characteristic. My rifles are locked in a gun safe. They do not assault anyone. The only reason the Democrats added that word was to make them sound scary so that the mouth breathers who actually listen to their propaganda and can't think for themselves think that there's some sort of a machine gun. And that's another thing that the Democrats do all the time. They try to make it seem like semi-automatic, one trigger pull, one bullet fired, like bang, 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 semi-automatic is actually a machine gun. These people are disingenuous hacks who know absolutely nothing about the Second Amendment and what it takes to protect you and your family, but would steal that right from you in a second because it's the only thing standing in their way of taking all of your freedoms. And never mind the fact that they tried an assault weapons ban in the mid-90s. Obama's own FBI reported that it had absolutely, positively no impact on violent crime at all, which is why they got rid of the so-called assault weapons ban. It did not work. It did nothing. Absolutely nothing. Again, it was Obama's own FBI. In fact, never mind the fact that Most crimes are committed with handguns and some of the most egregious gun violence and horrific gun violence in the world is black on black gun violence facilitated by gangs. Yet you never hear the Democrats talk about that. Every single time a criminal commits a crime in this country, the Democrats try to take away your freedom. Now, what what does that tell you? How disingenuous must their argument be? You are not a criminal. You've never committed a crime. Why punish the law abiding? Why try to take 
the rights of the law abiding just because some psychopath committed a crime. Should we punish society for the actions of a deranged lunatic? No. Because all that does is make society more susceptible to the predations of the deranged lunatic who is not going to listen to your laws. No amount of gun control, no amount of assault weapons bans, again, no such thing as assault weapon, no such thing as an assault weapon. But none of these laws will work to stop a criminal because criminals don't give a damn about your laws. So if you're trying to disarm the law abiding, you must not care about the law abiding because all you do when you do something like that is make our country a far more dangerous place and make it much more difficult for people to protect their hearth, their home, their loved ones, and their country. But that's what they want. It's all a part of their plan. They hate this country. In order to fundamentally transform this country, they've got to do these things. You are the only thing standing in their way. Every day on this show, I tell you that we are building a movement. That movement is not going to be relegated just to this show. It's about take it's going to be at some point about taking political action in states all across this country. And I don't know what form that's going to look like now when this show is in its infancy. But the Democrats do not take time off with regards to organizing. So we can't either. This this show is called Battleground because we are in a battle for our very way of life in this country. The Democrats play for keeps. We're at a point now in this country where they're throwing their political opponents in jail and they're laughing at all of us and to the media. They don't care. They don't care. And our Republican representatives in Washington, they're spineless. So I'm time, I'm, 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 I'm over with, gen- I'm done with gentlemen losers. I'm done with people who aren't willing to fight for this country. And this show right here, that's what we do. We fight for this country. And so, I, you know, it's Friday. And so for those of y'all who have been with us for the full hour, actually a little over an hour, because we didn't ask me anything at the beginning. And if you like that, put it in the live chat or put it in the comments. We'll keep doing it because we want you to have access to me and to Brock. Ask any questions you want. But if you stuck with us this long, please Make sure that you go and like this broadcast. It's so important. Like, rumble, hit that little green thumb. Rumble notices that. If rumble notices that, it's more likely that we get advertisers. The more advertisers we get, the sooner I can get away from the cat litter box and get my own studio, which would be really exciting. Um, and so subscribe to the show. Tell your friends, tell your family to subscribe to, to the show, to Battleground every night at five. It will air. Monday through Friday, every single night, it will be live. 
So tell your friends, tell your family to subscribe to this channel, subscribe to this show, because Rumble truly is the last line of defense for freedom of speech in this country. All these other big tech platforms, they're collapsing and they, they're they just government bootlickers. They do the bidding of the government. So everywhere I go, people are like, what's Rumble? Hey, be an ambassador for Rumble. Tell people to get on, tell people to sign up, tell people to subscribe to this show. It is and will always be 100% free and just for you. Battleground Apparel, never quit, never surrender is the motto of this show. Official Sean Parnell, you can get all your Battleground Apparel there. Um, we just got a ton of new shirts in. So all this stuff is in shock. So if you order in, in, in stock, so if you order now, it'll go out immediately. Commander Melanie is all caught up and all over that. But it's Friday. Okay. So we like to go out and go into the weekend. You know, hopefully, you know, you didn't, I didn't, I don't think I said mouth breather all that much on the show. So maybe you guys aren't drunk, which is a good thing. Maybe you can just have a couple drinks after this, go into the weekend relaxed. But we got a song for you to take to take the show out today, right, Brock? Let's let's roll that song and 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 let's send people into the weekend the right way. I have two shotguns on my home. They're locked in a safe. There's a metal gun case. We live in an area that's wooded, somewhat secluded. And I said, Jill, if there's ever a problem. Just walk out on the balcony and fire two blasts outside the house. Buy shotgun, buy shotgun. You don't need machine gun, you don't need 30 rounds. Buy shotgun, buy double shotgun. No, you don't need a flamethrower, and you don't need a tank. You don't need an AR-15 to scare those thugs away, no. And I don't need a grenade launcher, I don't need an AR-15. There's just one thing I need to do, and they'll stay away from me. Fire two blasts outside the house. Buy a shotgun. Buy a shotgun. Buy a shotgun. Buy a shotgun, baby. You don't need machine You don't need a machine You don't need 30 rounds. Buy shotguns. Fire two blasts outside the house. Buy shotgun. Buy shotgun. You don't need machine gun. You don't need 30 rounds. Buy shotgun. Buy double barrel shotgun. Well, what do you think of that? And this is a never mind the fact that Joe Biden is trying to tell people out there buy a shotgun, fire a warning shot, which is highly illegal. I do not recommend doing that, but the song was pretty good, right? <laughs> Anyways, and by the way, that kid had a really, really good voice. Do you see his range? Very, very impressive stuff. So listen, folks, have a great weekend. You're in the trenches in the in the fight to save this country. We need you. We want you in our platoon. We want you in the trenches. We want you on the front lines. You are the only thing stopping this country from falling apart. So God bless you all. Thank you all for being here. <laughs> never quit. Never surrender. And God bless this exceptional nation that we call home. See you Monday. Have a great weekend. Take care.
Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening.